Hello everyone and welcome to the British Wrestling Experience here on Post Wrestling. I'm your host for this episode, Jamesy, and with Benno and Martin away scrambling to get registered to vote in the upcoming general elections, it's left to the Irish to hold the fort. This week, on our, this week our show is solely dedicated to covering OTT's big fifth anniversary weekend, and no better man to join me and break it all down than the great Alan Forel, Alan Coonan. Alan, how are you, sir? Hello, James. Yeah, I'm well. I'm well. I I didn't realise that this was the this was going to be show opening. I thought this was going to be a, a a segment like we did before in the overall main show. But this is I'm I'm taking like proper co-host uh, uh, oh, yeah. duties on here. This is this is exciting times. Well, Alan, it it took it. We've been trying to get rid of the Brits out of Ireland for 800 years. I've only been doing this podcast for six months, and I've already ran them off. Isn't that pretty good going? It's uh, you, they should be building a statue of you down home in Waterford, Jamesy. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So actually, this is the first episode of the Irish Wrestling Experience. By the way, and this is, should uh, this probably get me kicked off at uh, the Irish Wrestling Experience. Um, Sarah got very mad at me the other day because uh, um, I was saying, uh, you know, there's like, do you know, on the keys there when you're going towards where. Uh, Fight Factory have their shows in North or East Wall. Uh, there's yeah. that statue of the guy, the kind of with the with the kind of afro. Um, I, I believe his name is Luke Kelly. Um, I <laughs> I was I was oh, getting God, it confused with uh, Phil Linnett, the guy from um, <laughs> the guy from what's that band called again? Tin Lizzy. Tin Lizzy. He he has a statue somewhere else in town, right? He's he's just off Grafton Street, yeah. yeah but like, I I just got the whole thing jumbled up in my mind, and uh, I was <laughs> we were driving past the the Luke Kelly one, and I referred to it as the Tin Lizzy guy, and she was like, <laughs> she was like, don't say that around anyone, but instead I've said it on a podcast to everyone. So. For, for our UK listeners, I would just advise them to do a Google image search of <laughs> Luke Kelly. I do a Google image search of Phil Linnett and realise the mistake that Alan has made. As statues, they, I've never looked that closely. I've cycled past the the Luke Kelly one a good few times going to the wall, and I don't really look at it closely. But it just looks kind of like it's like it's kind of like a big bushy head of hair, and it's like that's how that's how I imagine the Phil Linnett one in my mind. So I don't know. Like I literally, if I close my eyes right now it's like i'd see the, the same thing but i really haven't actually studied either of them i still don't really know who this luke kelly character is oh dear god before you embarrass <laughs> yourself any anymore alan i think we're going to have to move swiftly on from this because you're you're just you're basically burying yourself to the entire nation of ireland here <laughs> I'll go join the Brits. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. No, no, no. We'll keep you. We don't want. We don't want them taking you as well. <laughs> anyway, 
Let's get straight into it, Alan. Um, I suppose the big match that the whole wrestling world has been talking about since the weekend is the OTT World Title match between Jordan Devlin and David Starr. Um, you were there live, as was I. Um, I've watched it back on VOD since. Um, I suppose, and like uh, you, you, you just just to say from the outset, like you, you have covered the, the live experience of this match in pretty great detail on on your um, your own podcast on the Torch site. Um, you got my good friend Dave Ryan in to have a, a really good insightful chat about the match. So I think I, like I'd like to direct people towards that podcast first and have a listen to the kind of the live take on that um, to save you repeating yourself and to give people a different perspective. I'd kind of like to maybe take a little step back from the match the match a little bit and just talk about the bigger picture stuff. So let's maybe just start with the actual rivalry itself between Jordan and um, David Starr. It's been rumbling on now for about 16 months in OTT. Um, It's involved other characters like Walter, Sean Guinness has been brought into it. Uh, Timothy Thatcher has been brought into it. Um, you know, it's it, it's Will been Ospreay. the storyline. Will Ospreay, exactly. Yeah, it's a storyline that's basically carried OTT um, for the last sixteen months. Like huge, like a lot of highly acclaimed matches have come out of it. Like, where does this storyline and rivalry rank in terms of maybe modern wrestling history for you? You know, for me, the one thing, unlike with a lot of great stuff that happens now. And this is kind of, it's it's a real glass half empty way of looking at things, which is unusual for me. But when like these like super amazing things happen, part of me is always like, if this happened in 2006 or 1998, like it would have stood out so much more because there wasn't, we didn't live in an era where there's A, so much wrestling and B, so much great wrestling. And like when I think of, great feuds and stories like probably one of the more recent ones that comes to mind especially on the independent scene is the ROH-CZW feud and how layered that was and the length of time it lasted not as long as this but it was more meaty there there was obviously more shows during the period that that feud kind of wrangled on for and I just think if if this whole story happened in that era of ROH like that would have been something that people like so many people referred back to and talked about for so long. And it would have been just such a close your eyes and picture a year. And that's kind of what you think of. And I do think there'll be an element of that with this. And certainly for us here in Ireland, we're going to be talking about this in 10 years. But I mean, like, I I feel like kind of more people who are watching it from the outside, um, they'll talk it up as being amazing as it as it truly is right now but it could get lost because there's just so much else happening um that i wonder about what the legacy of something like this will be in 10 years it's the same kind of phenomenon that i think of with like these great matches we see in new japan like if Mm. if say like the Okada Will Ospreay match that happened in the G1 this year, which is one of the best matches I've seen all year. It's absolutely incredible. If that happened in New Japan in 1997, I mean, so like if I think New Japan 1997, the match comes to my mind is El Samurai, Koji Kanemoto, Best of Super Juniors final. Um, People are always going back to that match and talking about that match. But like that Ospreay-Okada match was... uh, I don't want to say that smokes the Kanemoto match because that Kanemoto match was truly great. But I mean, the drop off from that to like 
the rest of kind of what was happening in the era is is pretty severe whereas now there's probably 20 other new japan matches in the last two years that are in or around like think of just ishii alone mm, there wasn't yeah. a guy there wasn't a guy in the 90s having a quarter of the level of truly like five star match of the year level matches as ishii and i'm like maybe you can talk about the all japan um side of things was probably held up a bit more with regard to that but it just it feels like great stuff now it's harder to make an imprint that's going to last than it was in previous generations um another reason for that is just how easy everything is to access now whereas like before like you know you're going to remember your super j cup 94 because of like the hassle you had to go through to get the videotape and and paying all you had to do to get it and how many times you'd watch it back because like if you were sick from school or whatever and it's like hey i'll watch one of my wrestling videotapes and because you didn't have the option of like 18 streaming services and an unlimited amount of youtube and daily motion and never mind what archives you might have already built up in your own uh um, personal uh, belongings with your DVDs and whatnot. It's it's just crazy the amount of. It's harder for anything to gain traction now. And in saying all that, to bring it back around to this storyline, I think this pretty much did as much as anything could possibly in this generation to be an era-defining story or feud for a the independent level, but for a lot of us who were following it, this went beyond even just independent wrestling. This was just like, to me, this is the most impactful thing in wrestling in the last 18 months by far. So um, yeah, that's, uh, that's the roundabout way of saying, I'm not sure how much of a, a lasting legacy it will have, but I do know right now it was as great as it could have possibly been. And it definitely, to me, um, whilst it may not be as memorable as stuff from those previous eras like ROHCZW or like um, Bret Hart and Steve Austin, I, I do think artistically, creatively, execution-wise, it's every bit as good as any of those things. There's no holes I can poke in it versus any of those other great storylines and feuds of the past. Yeah, and like... I think for me, the, the big the big victory, I suppose, of this feud and the big achievement of it more than anything is the emotional side of it. Like, yes, there are great matches. Like, and I, like I, I listed out the seven big matches of the feud that involved the kind of three protagonists. And I have every single one of those seven matches between 4.75 and five stars. But leaving aside the star ratings and everything... To me, the victory of this feud more than every more than anything is that it gripped the audience emotionally. Like, you know, if we're actually to just go to the night in question, you know, it's it, it, wrestling on the surface of it is a very silly thing. Guys pretending to fight, you know, and yet you had these guys in a wrestling ring pretending to fight and the, the, the visceral emotion that they were drawing out of people in that building on the night was just something incredible. You know what I mean? Like we had people, I had people around me while the video was playing before the match, arguing with each other about the outcome and arguing with each other about who was right. Like it reminded me of um, the 2002 World Cup 
you probably remember it very well, Alan, when Roy Keane walked out on the Irish squad and it literally divided the nation. Like you had people falling out in pubs over, over this thing and who was right and who was wrong in the whole thing. And it's like they had captured... To bring in Jimmy McGee. Jimmy McGee, exactly, it's, to do the interview. Yeah. I'll, I'll be honest, Jamesy, I'm holding out hope that I'll be brought in as the uh, Jimmy McGee into Mediator. OTT to mediate this whole issue. <laughs> No the, res- man, the, the respected figure on the island who uh, nobody <laughs> dares uh, dispute. <laughs> Fantastic. But yeah, as I said, this it, and like, you know, you talked about artistically and creatively uh, and how good the matches are and that kind of thing. Even from a business perspective, like you look at that card that they put on on Saturday night. It was a card that it was this rivalry that drew almost 2000 people, 2000 people to a stadium in Dublin. You know, like like usually with the stadium shows, there would have been people on those cars that drew the crowd. You know, like you had the elite coming in the early days of the shows. You had New Japan talents on. You had, you know, you had NXT UK talents on there that you could point to that would put bums in seats. This was very much a feud made in Ireland you know, created by Irish people with Irish characters in it that brought people into a stadium with 2000 people into a stadium like. And to me, that's a phenomenal achievement, you know. Um, so like yeah, yeah, from every type of criteria you can look at this rivalry from, it's just been a roaring success. And like, I don't know if at the outset of this rivalry was the plan for it to culminate 16 months later in this match, but I think, you know, you kind of have to think on your feet with feuds like this and like, but they took, they made very few missteps along the way. And I think they, they absolutely nailed the final chapter of it as well. It's fair to say. Um, so that kind of leads us nicely onto the night in question, Alan, and talk to me a little bit about that atmosphere in the stadium. Like you've been to a lot of live wrestling in your life. You've watched a lot of live wrestling on tape over the years. Where does the atmosphere on that? Can you describe that atmosphere to somebody maybe who's listening in the UK who hasn't been to a stadium show or hasn't experienced OTT at its peak? What was that? What was that atmosphere like? It was, first of all, as you knew you were getting into the main event, there was at least for me a a confidence that we were about to see something epic. Like, the show had been really good, like a really good show with uh, some really good stuff on the undercard. I loved the ladder match so much on the, the undercard. It was a show that breezed by. It was it got to the main event. I was like, whoa, main event already? Okay. And it was like, it's time to settle in because this thing's probably not going to be short. It's probably going to be pretty darn epic. And I had kind of had my excitement during the week of oh my god this match is going to be so cool I can't wait this match is going to be awesome but then at the moment before the match it was kind of for me and like it was pretty different around me but for me it was a sit back in my seat and and just be like okay let's see something special here getting set it's like you know if you're if you're about to sit down for an amazing meal and you know it's like just going to be just yeah just going to be so good and in you know the quantity is going to be uh, so this is going to be quantity and quality you, you, you sit back you undo your belt buckle because you just know <laughs> you're going to be and you just get yourself comfortable and right that was that was my mindset uh um that i was in um and kind of around me i just felt especially as the video started playing you start hearing the reactions i was like oh oh yeah 
these people are ready for this. And um, it kind of went in layers as they kind of went through the entrances. And first you had the uh, Miseria Cantare, which um, uh, CM Punk's entrance music um, in his early years in ROH, which um, kind of a lot of us old school ROH fans identify with, with CM Punk Absolutely. with even yeah. more than Cult of Personality. And Jordan had used that when he won the title um, a couple of years ago. And it was because he was the import killer and he was uh, putting all these imports with the, the gravestones and um, putting them into the ground with all the gravestones. And he came out with the cloak and it was just this brooding music that was perfect for that big entrance he had on that night. And uh, Jordan, uh, an unabashed old school ROH mark, uh, was uh, um, very much uh, excited about doing that. So that music hits again. And you think it's going to be Jordan? I'm like, oh, Jordan's going for the big entrance. And then all of a sudden, the cloak is thrown to the side and it's David Starr under it. And you're like, oh, tremendous. The roar that went up. the, the roar, roar and then it goes into reaction his, from the crowd yeah then it goes into his his new music that he's been using in ott which i don't know the same name of the song i think it's is it marilyn manson do you know james it's a marilyn or? manson song but yeah that's that's the limit of my knowledge yeah it's so perfect for star right now and by the end like i came it's home it, it's still it's been playing in my head all week it's like a, it's like and the anthem for a rebellion or something like that it's a song you can shout out almost like isn't it yeah, I, I walked home as I, I just literally lived three minutes from the stadium. So I walked home and I was like literally singing the song and pumping my fist on, on, the, on the walk. And as I came in through the door, um, uh, my, my wife was here. She was not the show. And I, I came in through the door and burst through into the sitting room singing the song. And she was like, so it was good, was it? <laughs> but uh, um the uh, so like you get that and the, the, the atmosphere goes up a level and then Jordan comes out and it's this rabid response which is so unlike what Jordan had been getting previously which was so positive this was a, a venomous reaction towards Jordan I would I would say it was the most anti-Jordan the atmosphere was all night was at the very start of the match yeah absolutely and yeah that goes to say what a great job the videos and the build-up had had been doing in turning star face and making you just die to dying to see this guy win this title and turning in the process and i use air quotes when i say turning jordan this guy who never compromised his character in no any way no no complete like oh i'm a bad guy now i'm gonna say bad things about the fans no um uh surprise heel turn that had no logic nothing just the gradual want for star to win made the crowd a buy into what star was saying about jordan and just turn on Jordan because for Star to win, Jordan needed to fall. And yeah. as a result of that simple story, this man who was the king of this place only months earlier was treated like an absolute villain, uh, treated like Margaret Thatcher walking into that building. <laughs> Absolutely. And 
Go on, and yeah. then that hooked the atmosphere up another level because at the start it was just this celebratory we're behind star when he made his entrance but then it was like now here's the guy we hate here's the guy we want to see fall and it just you had that atmosphere just double almost and then they brought out this line of security to stand between yeah, them yeah. and they stood up on the ropes and oh what a visual what an image and that is yeah star just riling up the crowd and jordan just sternly taking it like jordan took this on the chin you know he was so stoic the, wasn't he yeah he was still so never he was still like the never compromising his character yeah yeah, and can we just go back a little bit to, to, to the whole air quote, the turning on, on Devlin for a little minute, because I think it was extremely cleverly done by OTT. Like, as you said, it would have been unconscionable to us six months ago that, that Jordan Devlin would walk out in front of 2000 Irish people and have you sold out chanted at him. And that was chant, a loud, clear you sold out chant came up before the bell even rang. And like, that would have been, I would have laughed at you if you told me that six months ago, even three months ago, you know. But the, the, what they did very, very cleverly was, number one, they let Star talk. And Star is Especially, is one... just, just to add on that, Jamesy, especially because of the fact that kind of one of OTT's early heroes was Pete Dunne and Mustache Mountain by proxy. And since those guys joined up with WBUK... Every time they've been in OTT, which has been a considerable amount of times, they get a hero's reaction. Yeah. There's no you sold out, nothing no. like that. So no. it had been clearly established kind of that the OTT crowd in general didn't have this huge hatred towards anyone who'd signed with WWE. Yeah, but I I, I would say that. I, I would say that um, I think, as I said, they, they let Star talk. And like Star is the most, I think he must be the most compelling talker in wrestling. Like he could talk you into anything almost. You know what I mean? If he wasn't a wrestler, he'd be a used car salesman and he'd be selling people cars that would break down the minute they left the four courts in that kind of a way. Like he's just, he could sell, he could sell sand to the Arabs. Like, you know what I mean? He's just an amazing talker. And he kind of sowed the seeds for the whole thing. I would say that there were little things that Jordan did just to kind of nudge it along a little bit. Like if you go back to even the interference in the star Walter match. Now, yes, you could say that Jordan was being the pure baby face and he, you know, he, he, he was writing an injustice where star was cheating and he was about to beat Walter and that kind of thing. But like, you know, I definitely saw in the crowd that night when he did that, there were people who were angry with Devlin for getting in the way of that. Like they deprived us of being the first crowd in wrestling history to see star beat Walter. So it was, was a, a great, little, little, it was a great little seed. It was me. exactly just a little thing, and that's just a li- and like I saw people for the first time ever in OTT angry with Jordan Devlin, and then he like he definitely took on a new demeanor in the months after that. Like he seemed more aggressive in his wrestling, he seemed more stoic in the way he carried himself. He had a few matches with the younger talents like Callum Black and LJ Cleary, and like the way he finished those matches was was a really brutal way. Like he was almost dismissive of these younger guys having the temerity to kind of challenge him almost, you know. And like the finishes to those two matches basically involved him stomping those two guys into the canvas until they submitted you know like a very brutal kind of a thing that you hadn't seen from Devlin in the past and then like the the, the video that, that they showed on the big screen um Sean Ryan's amazing video for this match there were little things that he said in this there was a change in Jordan's uh, you know before he had been very stoic and he had been very he, he had kept his dignity kind of but he was you could see that 
Star had gotten under his skin. And there's that line about uh, that he says about Star where he says, um, you'll be stuck on the Indies for the rest of your career. And like that could easily be construed as as a guy taking a shot at the Indies. And OTT is an indie. So in a roundabout way, you're kind of Jordan is kind of sneering a little bit at the independent scene. And yet here he is wrestling on the independent scene, you know. So there's, there's that little bit as well. Like there's little things there that you could take as, as him being more heelish and that kind of thing. But, but and the, the great thing about it was it didn't it didn't come out of nowhere. It all came oh, oh, because yeah. he had been pushed and oh, pushed and started gotten yeah. needled. Yeah, that's the word. Yeah. And start yeah. got under his skin, like you said. And without that, and like we, we've all been in our relationships with friends, with people in our workplaces, like we've all been at the point where we are in a dispute with someone mm. um, or in an argument and we say something that we don't really mean and we wouldn't say if it wasn't for the situation. And when we think back on it, five minutes later a month later or whatever we regret it completely and we're like oh that was just hell like ach has been tweeting today about like some yeah. of his tweets over the weekend and regretting them because it was rage getting the better of him and yeah. and this was star getting the better of jordan and causing pushing buttons in jordan which caused jordan to respond in ways that maybe he wouldn't have normally or he wouldn't with someone else it's it's really so many levels to it and and this isn't just this isn't like um us uh um coming up with our own storylines to uh, place onto something that doesn't make sense or that is lacking in any story like you often see people do with some of the like the new japan stuff in particular which like you see some some fan fiction applied to stuff in New Japan, and you're kind of thinking, "Ah, guys, come yeah. on!" Like they, 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 you know, I was thinking more to justify the story. Yeah, sometimes people want to make the story better than it was to justify their own feelings about it. Whereas I think OTT told us such a layered and complex story that that wasn't necessary. It you know, it was designed to have us thinking, and and almost like literally every kind of, for the most part, every kind of avenue that we could go down with thinking about this was caused because of a little seed that might have been dropped in in one direction or the other by the performers and the booker yeah and i think like when they were planning that video and when they were thinking about how to approach this match basically what they wanted was the hottest possible atmosphere in the stadium they wanted a split crowd they knew that some people would would kind of veer towards star i do think they kind of knew that amongst a certain portion of the fan base there probably is a little bit of nxt uk resentment simmering underneath and all of a sudden then it comes to the fore like do you remember that that belfast show recently where they announced jordan to be on it and then at the last minute he was pulled off it and like very obviously on twitter jordan put photographs of himself up the same day and and all he was at was something like a board game convention like I personally think OTT never had him on that show. And I think that was another little seed that that they wanted to plant in people's mind about the whole NXT UK thing as well. You know, I think it's all these little clever things to kind of just get you thinking about it and get you kind of thinking, God, maybe this David Starr fellow who keeps saying that NXT UK is bad and who keeps saying that being independent is the right thing. 
maybe he's actually right. You know what I mean? But the, the point I'm making is the whole thing was a success because on the night, what they achieved was probably the best crowd and the most like the most electric atmosphere I've ever watched a wrestling match in. Like, you know, I, I, I have gone to a lot of live sports, like actual real sports in my life, you know, and you would put it up there with any important sporting occasion that I've ever been at. You know what I mean? Like the, the, the level of investment emotionally that people had in this match was just completely off the charts. Yeah, it was, it was something else. I think the only the only wrestling atmosphere I can kind of think of as being equally kind of mind-blowing, and it's hard to compare because it was a stadium, so it was so different, but the Daniel Bryan winning the title in New Orleans oh, was course, just, yeah. that, that was just insane, but it was so different because of the size and volume of it compared to this. This was more visceral, I would say, and more um, intense. Um, but it didn't have the magnitude if that, if that makes yeah. sense. Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah. it was uh, nothing though will beat the. Um, uh, I'm sorry, as great as this was, as great as pro wrestling is, I I firmly believe nothing will ever beat the feeling of my body shaking that I had in 2014, I think it was, at the the Point Depot here in Dublin, the the O2 Arena, um, when. Conor McGregor, McGregor fought. Oh, yeah. I can't even yeah, remember. Yeah. I think it was Diego Brando, but it was the only during McGregor's big rise. It was the only fight he had here in Dublin, I, I believe. And um, Jesus, his entrance was. <laughs> I was like, what is this feeling? This is. Just, I've never. It was like a wall of noise just beating me from every side. But uh, that was. Uh, that was quite the thing to experience, but um, as far as pro wrestling goes, yeah, no, this is this is right up there. This was it was something else, and uh, and the the action when it kind of starts, it's they could have done anything, and the atmosphere would have carried it, but they they worked it in that early stage in a way to just really milk the atmosphere and escalate it. Absolutely. Like, and, you know, I watched the match back on VOD and, and, and the thing that struck me, I suppose I was so caught up in the emotion of, of the match that I was more interested in who was going to win the match when I was in the in the stadium. And like when you're watching on VOD, you're kind of the critical part of your brain is watching it more and you're kind of appreciating the quality of the wrestling more. And the thing that struck me watching it back was how actually how it was actually a very minimalistic match. You know, there were no crazy high spots to speak of in the match you know like an awful lot of it was just two guys fighting tooth and nail to win the championship you know like um and i think to me anyway and i think you probably agree the standout moment of the match was when the two guys in the ring just basically put their fists up and started throwing hands it was kind of i would say i thought you're gonna talk about the arm drag jamesy (laughs) <laughs> the arm drag as well we can talk about that in a second yeah but, but, but when those no, that'll be, I'll, hands, I'll save that as a teaser for if you want to hear all about the arm drag go listen to my show on, yes. on the pw torch <laughs> but the, the 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 moment that will stay with me forever about that match was was the, the punch exchange like you talk about you know 
we're we're older wrestling fans and that kind of thing, Alan. But we're not really those type of fans that hark back too much to the eighties and about how modern wrestlers can't throw a punch anymore. Like, but if anyone ever kind of comes up with that argument again, I'm just going to make a gif of this punch exchange and show them these punches, like because it starts off with Devlin, and Devlin has kind of been established in OTT as the boxer, and it was his boxing skills that kind of eventually helped him to overcome Walter. So he's been well established as the boxer and it seemed almost silly of Star to go toe to toe with him. But lo and behold, Star responds with some absolute haymakers, like to the point where he basically was punching Jordan in the head and he did split him open. Um, But like, again, the blood, it's just, you know, blood in a wrestling match can add to the emotion. And it just put it just put the whole thing on an extra level, I think, to be honest. I watched a uh, rugged Ronnie Garvin against Tully Blanchard tape fist match from the Great American Bash during the summer when they they put up the the Bash tour stadium shows on the network. Um, and I was blown away by that. It was incredible. And uh, some of the punching and the boxing in that was I had never seen like proper boxing strikes look as good in a wrestling context as I, I did in that match until I saw Jordan Devlin on Saturday night and the hand speed the head movement I, I like if that was easy to do you'd see it a lot more in wrestling Absolutely. but it's yeah. not easy to do to throw boxing style punches in an effective way that don't look silly and out of place um or to go on the the other extreme, be like Floyd Mayweather and Big Show that time, not the match, but the actual um, the run in at, at No Way Out, I guess it was uh, when Mayweather and Big Show was into his knee and Floyd just uncorks a flurry and absolutely destroys Big Show's face. That's like the other extreme where you have like legitimately the best boxer of all time throwing like he would in a proper fight. Um, so you're, you're not going to get that, but then the other extreme is just looking just really out of place and phony and, and Jordan's punches here just looked amazing. But it all set up for Star to clock him with one in return maybe two and just floor jordan and they go he goes out to the floor the blood is coming up star realizes he's got jordan's blood on his knuckles in the ring he's licking his knuckles i don't know yeah i I only saw that on the vod i didn't see it on the night oh that's brilliant i'm glad they got it because so yeah um, i was watching uh star in the ring um as he was doing this and then I noticed that the cameraman, Matthew Macklin, was down on the floor with his camera over Jordan. And I was like in my head screaming, Matthew, turn around, put the camera on Star, God damn it. And oh, then no, I realized perfect, there was yeah. another guy with a camera who had it on Star. And I actually spoke to Matthew after the show. And uh, that was what I said to him. And uh, he was very relieved the other guy caught it because he had no idea it had happened, obviously, yeah. he was down filming Jordan. Um but uh, I, I'm glad that my uh, hat tip to him. Obviously, he was able to catch that on editing and put in the uh, put in the, um, the the star visual of licking the blood off his knuckles because that just kind of helped get across the the mindset that Star was in at this point. Yes, this exactly. guy, and we haven't spoke much about his beliefs and his kind of um, his uh, motivation going into this, but he was very much I'm doing a revolution. 
I'm starting a revolution. His line of the thing was, you you can't start a revolution with silk gloves or something like that. You That's can't fight a revolution yeah. with silk gloves. And he was, he was in sicko mode here. He was an absolute sicko who was going to do whatever it took and was reveling it. And he was like, it was a madman just basking in his own glory as he licked the blood off the knuckles. And um, there's definitely a heelish element to that. If you want to, if you want to take the stance that Star is the villain and all this, like you can very easily point to a moment like that where he's clearly just taking such pleasure in the um, in the 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 hurt of all this, really? in the in the negative. Like every war has, if if a war is kind of here's me trying to spit out something philosophical this is going to sound ridiculous but like if a war is done for a positive result and it has a load of negative um, things happening along the way should you be reveling in the negative aspects and that's what star like the negative aspect of star's revolution is that he had to inflict this punishment on george along the way yeah and he had to to kill this friendship and 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 all this stuff that's clearly uh, clearly bad and he's reveling and he's licking the blood and just looking so happy doing it but there's my um long-winded philosophical point but uh yeah what what a moment what an exchange Mm. just it looked so good and like you talked there alan about like we said earlier that jordan didn't change or sacrifice his principles. You could just as easily say that Star, like Star didn't start acting like the blue eyed baby face at any point in this whole run. Like, you know, just to get this title match, he basically goaded Scotty Davis into a number one contenders match. He, his demeanor throughout this match is as much an asshole as he has been all the way along. You know what I mean? That has never changed either. You know what I mean? And that's the yeah, other thing that uh, people kind of forget about it. Like he, he is still an asshole, but I suppose the way he's painting it is at least I'm honest about being an asshole. And like, this uh, is me. Follow me if you want great. to follow me. Sorry, go, go ahead, on. Yeah. yeah, just, just as I said, he, he's just, he, he's perfectly open about, I am David Starr. I have this philosophy and this, this idea that I want to get across. Yes, I am an asshole. Follow me if you want to follow me. And people did, you know. And if you think to the whole story from start to finish, he basically portrayed that same role that you've just described perfectly there. He portrayed it through stages with different goals. It started with the desperation to beat Walter. Mm. Then it was the desperation to beat Jordan to get to Walter. Then it was the desperation to beat Jordan for the OG title. And then that's tied into the desperation of the we the indie unionization um, starting his revolution. It's he's basically kind of acted the same way, but for different things. And I think that's a that ability is has been key in allowing David Starr to be in multiple different promotions in different landscapes right now. Being a top guy, positioning himself in slightly different ways everywhere he goes. 
in WXW, he's kind of like been a full-blown baby face, right? Yeah. Uh, in, he was driven mad by the desire to beat Walter. Yeah. In OTT, he was a full-blown heel. Now he's whatever the hell he is now. <laughs> what even and is in, he? Yeah. In PWG, he's just a complete, like when I, I saw some of the stuff he's done in PWG this year, he's just a complete asshole heel. Like, yeah. And in AAW as well, I would say, when he was there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So it's, and in a, AAW, his kind of approach was the, the, the whole wrestling thing. Wrestling, and it was, yeah, um, exactly. that was a, a different kind of um, spin on his, uh, his disposition and outlook on the world of wrestling. So, yeah, you know, the guy is just incredible right now in terms of, what he's doing and i think and we can come back to this in a bit james or we can just segue into it right now i think just his passion and drive which for me having been around him is unlike anyone else i've ever met in wrestling it's it's what allows him to be that level of performer in the same way that you always heard about and eddie guerrero was so driven and passionate mm. to a, an unhealthy degree that he would never be happy with everything he anything he yeah. did he'd always find fault in it um with apparently like the exception like the only the only match he was ever like okay with was that 1997 halloween havoc match with ray which was like considered by many a perfect wrestling match perfect. yeah and yeah, like yeah. that was the only one that eddie was a apparently yeah. like felt he did a good enough job in and that level of of drive is is definitely unhealthy but i mean it's almost like what you need to be a true top guy in wrestling like steve austin had it and certainly uh wasn't healthy for him he as he's talked about in, in vague terms over the years he needed to uh to live fat live what is, what's his phrase he always had he, he was living too hard and too fast and uh, then he had to spend three years getting the business out of his system and it was and he kind of talks about that period in dark in with mystery as kind of a dark time in his life um bret hart i mean think of everything bret went through as a result of his drive and determination um eddie as i and mentioned Benoit, Jesus, well, that's that's punishing himself by by you know it is an extreme one, but like you remember the stories you hear about him punishing himself by doing thousands of squats if he made a mistake even, in a match and that kind of thing. You know, the, so much of the Benoit stuff we heard after the fact, after what happened. But I mean, if what happened didn't happen, and you know he just went on living his life, like so much more would have been learned, I'm sure, about Chris Benoit, and there would have been a lot of raised eyebrows and be like, "Geez, chill, dude." You know, and sometimes I think that with Star, sometimes just like in my own personal interactions with him, I'm like, are like just, I'm like, he's this, he, and I admire it. I admire his passion and his determination and, and how much he's driven. I admire the hell out of it, but like, I genuinely worry about him sometimes. Like, I worry <laughs> that he, he pushes himself too hard physically. And, and mentally, like sometimes I'll see him on, on Twitter and like just um, how it's much he's involved. Yeah. yeah, just and it's like, and I was really, I was like genuinely, I've never had this reaction before when seeing something like this. But after 
Tag Festival, I think it was, he talked about how no one would be able to contact him. Uh, he was going offline and uh, he wasn't going to be doing shows the following weekend. He was taking like a 10 day break or whatever it was, just a complete break. And I smiled. I was so happy. I was like, good for you. You should. And I hope you do more of that because he's just driven himself. To, and I almost felt like seeing him on Saturday night. He he kind of seemed a bit refreshed. And I'm sure he's been back a, a couple of weeks um, since that break. But he just seemed a little refreshed. And I, I just think, yeah, it's uh, uh, some of these guys got to remember it's it's a long term game as well. You don't want to burn yourself out. But God, with that level of drive and passion that he has, I I don't know if it's possible for him to burn out because he's there just seems to be fuel for for days with that guy. But uh, um, I, I I gave you the option, James, of segueing into this or just moving on and coming back to it, and then I completely pulled it away from you because I just continued on the 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 path I was going on there. I'm sorry about that. No, 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 no. We we spoke before the podcast, and like one of the reasons I wanted you on was to just to get an insight into the man's mind like I just find him a fascinating individual and like just one of the most supreme like is there a better all-rounder in wrestling at the moment when you look at you combine the in-ring with the wrestling brain with the ability to talk and I can't think of anybody who's the total all-round package that's better than Star at the moment you know and like I took an awful lot of personal satisfaction from seeing him for being there to see him win this title you know because this is his first Look, he has had many, many championships in the past, like, you know, but he's never really been given the main title by what I would call a major promotion. Like, and I really do feel like OTT should be counted there now as one of the major indies in the world. Like, to my mind, they're the best indie in the world. A promotion promotion that's going to have shows with um, 2,000 people. 2,000, exactly, exactly. If you Um, you want to use that as your your barometer, your cutoff. and that genuinely has the eyes of the wrestling world on it. You know what I mean? And yeah. like, it's, it's the first time somebody has actually given him the ball. And like, he's somebody that I've championed f- for for a long time before he was kind of maybe mainstream popular. You know, like, like I, I go back to 2016, 2017, and I would have had him in my top 10 of the year when, when maybe an awful lot of people mightn't have. So, so to see him finally be trusted and be treated as the guy meant an awful lot to me. You know what I mean? And, and, you know, moving forward, like just the possibilities, like the possibilities we have now with a guy like him as the champion of OTT, like the places they can go with him now, you know, give him a microphone on any show and it's going to be must see. You know what I mean? Like the, the, the rivalries, the feuds, the chance for all those young Irish wrestlers to work with him now. Like, you know what I mean? It, it, it's, you know, it's sad to see Jordan's reign end, but it's also massively exciting to have a guy who you could legitimately call the best in the world at the head of our home promotion, you know. It, it would be nice if anyone from OTT is listening to this, and because obviously I didn't, I would, uh, I I would be happy if they were to to get some satisfaction hearing this review we're, we're giving it. But I really hope uh, Joe Cabre is listening at this exact moment for what I'm about to say, because if I would ask for one thing, it is that on the next show. We get that old school ROH trope of when a new champion is crowned and ROH title changes in the sort of peak years of ROH were very infrequent. And it was and always like a dawn of a yeah. new dawn of a new era when there was a new champion. Mm-hmm. And the following show would always open up with a promo from the new champ. Yes. And it yeah. was they never really did the show opening promos in ROH. They'd only do them 
when a new champ was coming out for his first show. And if ever there was a situation where um, I would have goosebumps if a show started with someone coming out to cut a promo, it would be at the mm-hmm. next show at the end of November, David Starr's music hitting and him coming out there. Uh, even though he has a match later on the show, coming out there in, in, in his in his uh, regular clothes and just cutting his promo on addressing his OTT crowd, his OTT new era, he's he set the champion. Tone set the tone the reason i really want that is because jamesy honestly i have no clue and no idea what direction he's gonna go and what freaking cards this guy has up his sleeve but you know that it's going to be good and that's the exciting thing you know what i mean like i I can foresee a scenario where and like i I think you kind of have to watch the vod to get this idea the commentary on the show were very 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 heavy on this idea of him as a cult leader it was almost like that you know the way i'm sure you as a commentator you're given things to stress and areas of the storyline that you need to get over in your commentary and the, the thing that they kept harping back to was that star was 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 akin to a cult leader and that kind of thing you know what i mean and i wonder is 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 the big storyline of this title reign going to be that star won the fans over but in fact star is a false prophet and over time the kind of the, the mask will slip and people will kind of come back around to the idea actually that god like star is an asshole you know what I mean? And is he being genuine or is he being disingenuous? Did he only win the fans over because the only way he could beat Jordan Devlin was to take the fans away from him? You know what I mean? Like that the fans were such a big weapon on Jordan's side in all his big matches that Starr knew that he had to take the fans away to get that win over him. And now that he's achieved his goal of being the champion, maybe he doesn't need the fans anymore. You know, so like if that's a storyline you can tell over six to 12 months, like that's another, that's phenomenal stuff. You know what I mean? And then, you have Jordan Devlin waiting in the wings. And could we get a third match? You know what I mean? We kind of said on the night that maybe they should never do this match again. But like if you can flip it again and have a, a hated heel star in a year's time or in six months time and a returning hero, Jordan Devlin, like there's more money in that again. If you're Joe Cabrera right now, James, and obviously you've got a very volatile wrestling world going on and it's hard to book a long term, but if you kind of tentpole it as a big stadium show in March, yeah. a uh, maybe a big show in the basketball arena or something in the summer, and then um, another stadium show in October. So if you think maybe three big matches to carry to be the tentpoles of next year, obviously Star is going to play into, I would think probably all of them, maybe not. Mm. What are you eyeing up? What are you thinking? What are you trying to make happen if you're him right now? Well, I guess... Bit of fantasy well, booking. Why not? Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. Well, well the, the, the scenario I outlined, for sure, I think there is money in a slow star, you know, a slow realisation that star isn't the guy we thought he was and him not needing the fans anymore and rejecting the fans. And like... Would you be able to stomach the I told you so's, though, Jamesy? 
I think it would be brilliant because I think it would divide opinion again. And I think now we've seen that dividing opinion can be, can make for magic on the night of a match. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yes, the I told you so's, but like that, that's what you want. Like for OTT to see people falling out on Twitter over their storylines, for OTT to have people. I, there was a couple sitting beside me arguing over who to cheer for, like and genuinely falling out with each other over who to cheer for. Did like, you see you, the uh, did you see when he was uh, um crowd surfing that one girl who was like helping her <laughs> friend put her hand up and help and she turned her back she's I'm not <laughs> I, I'll drop him exactly <laughs> that's, any of it. That, that's, the, that's the level of feeling that they've got in people you know what I mean so like imagine like I cheered for Star and imagine if Star turns around in a month's time and throws that back in my face you know what I mean? Like, you're going to be angry. You're going to be furious. You're going to have the hottest heel in professional wrestling if that happens, you know. And, like, if he is back as a heel, then, yes, maybe Jordan Devlin is your end game. But I, what I would think for the good of Irish wrestling, I, I would love to see him go into a program with some of the younger Irish wrestlers. Like, And I don't think it was insignificant that he was, he was uh, videoed coming into the stadium on the night with Eddie Kingston with him. So, like, you don't have to have every big oh, main event. was that on the VOD? It was on the VOD as well. They played it like so like they're establishing them as a kind of a pairing in OTT. And like you don't need a title defense as the main event of every show. So what about a David Starr and Eddie Kingston program with oh, more than hype? Oh, my God, JV, you're you're really and I'm, I, the, the, my brain is kind of the, the, the gears of my brain are starting to move. And I think back to Eddie Kingston talking about spending more time in Europe early next year. Yep. And I know WXW are looking to use him again going forward after not being able to use him at tag tournament oh my god if we introduce eddie kingston promos and eddie kingston mm-hmm. just as a character in ott right now yeah. holy uh, god says miley and imagine the experience for the likes of lj and nathan and darren to, to, to just be in there with those guys to just be learning from a David Starr. You know what I mean? Like that's like, there's an opportunity here. Like we have the best wrestler on the planet, in my opinion, as the champion, there's an opportunity here for every young Irish wrestler on that roster to learn from this guy and to pick things up and to work in their promo ability. And like, you know, more than hyper amazing, but, but like, I feel like their act is a little bit flippant and a little bit trivial. And I'd love to see them get serious and like properly serious in a feud with somebody like, and imagine like no better men than David Starr and Eddie Kingston to start cutting promos on these guys and force them to be serious and force them to kind of have a little bit of an edge to their characters. You know what I mean? Like, and I could just see that being phenomenal stuff. Um, I'd love to see if they went the route that you talked about where Star turns and Jordan has to come back and save OTT as the returning hero. Again, I'm going to throw in an old Ring of Honor thing, but I'd love the homicide story to play out where OTT wants him. You've got other rest saying, Jordan, we need you. But Jordan's got the like homicide. Yeah, and he yeah, was just yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, uh, screw them screw everyone fans turned on me everyone bought into star you, you can have angus being like come on jordan there are those of us who kept who stood by you believed you oh way come back for us jordan be like look i appreciated that i appreciate that you didn't see through him but i just i can't put myself back in that situation i'm done with it uh just i don't know how, how you play into this i mean if he's not like if he's not 
on the shows or whatever, maybe you could just do it all through like putting up videos. I mean, Jordan's still here in Ireland, so he'd be mm. around. And I, I believe he's still going to be doing uh, coaching in, in the school of Irish wrestling. So you could kind of film things. And it's like yeah. the you school of Irish podcast. wrestling isn't necessarily an OTT thing. In, it's not like in canon OTT schools. So uh, even though it's run by the same people, like you could have it, Jordan's left OTT, but he's still coaching in the school of Irish wrestling, and yeah. you could f- film stuff where they're in the gym and just trying to beg Jordan to come back, and he's like, he's just like, no, I'm not. Just stop bringing it up and just getting like, it would take some quote acting, as as they say, and and some good acting, but I think they could pull it off pretty well. Um, I'd love to see something like that done, and then eventually you build to. The, uh, as we call it, Jamesy, the, the Ring of Homicide pop. You know, anyone who's a ROHCZW feud fan remembers the Ring of Homicide pop. And when finally the returning hero decides, screw it, I'll join in, I'll join in the fight, I'll help out. And uh, you can picture, you can picture the look on Star's face right now, can't you? <laughs> Heel Star. In shock, just being no, no, not him. No, I got rid of you. Yeah. Just throwing the tantrum, uh, and George yeah. just coming out full of piss and vinegar, and the crowd going crazy. Like, phew, like that would be <laughs> amazing, right? Like, I, I, I honestly like feel terrible, like fantasy booking like this, because when you do this kind of thing, it's like whatever happens isn't going to be as cool as what you've kind of laid out. But the thing is. 18 months ago, if I had fantasy booked the next 18 months of OTT, yeah, exactly. there's not a chance I'd have come up with something as cool as what they actually did. So, yeah. you know, fuck. I, I, I've suggested all that stuff. And, like, if that's what they ended up going with, something similar to, to that, I'd be delighted. It would be amazing. But, I mean, if they go in some completely different direction that I'm not as expecting, I'll be excited to see what that is, too, because I, I have the faith in them now that it's going to be really good whatever it is but god it just that visual of a heel star with jordan coming back through the curtain oh i'd love to see it that's the thing but i mean isn't it great that we're in the situation that, that we have somebody like him at the top you know so we have a champion there who has bound like it feels very fresh you know and what i would say about jordan's kind of second reign as a champion there were more of the throwaway defenses on shows that didn't really matter an awful lot, I felt, you know, like those Jody Fleisch matches. Uh, he had a match with Jake Atlas. There was a few of them there that it didn't quite feel as special, you know what I mean? But now all of a sudden it feels new and it feels fresh. And like we know how good this guy is and the possibilities for him are endless, you know what I mean? And I suppose just, just to, to round off the talk about the match itself, um, Alan, because we, we've probably talked way too long about it at this stage. Like you talked about walking in the door of your house after the match and the feeling you had and singing the music and just being overwhelmed by your love of professional wrestling. Like, and I remember I was standing outside the stadium. I think I was talking to you and I was talking to Dave Ryan and a few others. And I just said, guys, I'm going to have to just go and sit in my car for a while. (laughs) I wasn't there, but I read that on on Twitter after. And I just went down the road and I sat in my car in the dark for about five minutes and I just (laughs) smiled and I felt, do you know that feeling when you watch wrestling and you feel fulfilled by it? Yeah. Oh, I can can think the specific occasions. I remember 
not sitting in my car, but I remember this is back before all the uh, all the um, oh bandwagon jumpers started going to Germany with me. Um, this was back when I used to to make the trip by myself. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, trendsetter that I am, I remember that the Zack Saber Junior. A Tommy N 16 carat final and I just remember walking by myself quietly to the Lipperfeld tram stop <laughs> and just sitting there looking out onto these decrepit warehouses of Oberhausen the night sky having fallen just looking out and I'd say probably a couple of trams might have even passed and I didn't even get on them. And I just sat there and I just took it in. I just soaked in the moment of what I just experienced, having just been this monumental, awesome, amazing bit slice of pro wrestling heaven. And so I know exactly what you were uh, what you were probably thinking when you were sitting in that car. This stupid hobby that we have, and uh, like people say to me all the time, like, why do you still bother with wrestling? Why do you watch? And it's that feeling of when you've been given something that's that's satisfying and it's fulfilling and you feel like you almost got the, you know, you talk about fantasy booking and in your wildest dreams, you couldn't have fantasy booked this any better. And it's just that satisfaction of all is right with the world for a few minutes. And I just sat there and you're just genuinely happy. And we have this, you know, this silly hobby that we have, but it brings us genuine happiness in those moments. And it makes watching all the shite matches and all the matches that might be very good, totally worthwhile. You know, when you, when you get those moments. I skip those. You skip, you're dead right. You're dead right. You, you get better as you get older like us at skipping them, don't you? But yeah, as yeah. I said, that's like, and I think we'll round off this part of the thing with, there's a quote from Timothy Thatcher that I have at, at the top of my head or on my Twitter. And it's probably one you're very familiar with, where he said in the past. That's that, Labour's that uh, Ponyhoff? It's, it's about pro wrestling. And he says there needs to be a feeling to it and not just shiny objects and a lot of noise. And that's the thing. Like there was proper, genuine emotion in that building that night. And it really, really was something special. And it's something I'll never forget what it was like to be in that building, like watching that match on Saturday night. One of the greatest experiences that I have had in my life, to be honest, you know what I mean? To be a part of that and to see that unfold in front of me. And as I said, it just makes the whole thing worthwhile. And Far silly... behind the birth of your children though, right, Jamesy? Just don't tell the wife about it, right? Keep that between us and the listeners now, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, there was other wrestling on that night as well, Alan, and we might just briefly run down the card a little bit. As I said, we've probably talked way too much about that match, but I feel it's a match that kind of justifies us talking for a long time about it. But, um, it's the talk of the town right now. Absolutely, absolutely. But what about that ladder match between LJ and Scotty? I know that was a match that, on the undercard that you were very much a fan of. I loved it. I loved the way they worked it. It wasn't your, it wasn't your stunt show ladder match. It yeah. was... And I'm just, I'm burnt out on Sancho ladder matches. It takes something, the level of quality and um, just sheer perfection as Young Bucks, for, Young Bucks versus Lucha Brothers um, to actually make me give a shit um, when it comes to Sancho ladder matches. But these two young lads showed such maturity and great yeah. wrestling brains that I I know they both have, and they showed them here as they had way more of a Sean versus Razor, Michael Shane versus Paul London style singles uh, 
Chris Jericho versus Shawn Michaels uh, singles ladder match where it wasn't about the stunts, it was about the story, it was about the competition, the the struggle to climb and get that belt, the struggle to deal with this inanimate, inanimate object that has become a player in the match and is like a third person in there as opposed to just 12 ladders all flying around that are all completely meaningless. Mm. They made this one ladder a source of danger. They made it um, something to be nervous about. They just did a great job, I thought, from start to finish with this thing. Um, There was, like, if I was to pick just even just tiny holes and the only thing I could think was that maybe sometimes their enthusiasm just might have just got the better of themselves and again as I said there's these guys have smart wrestling brains but you have to remember these are young heads on these shoulders yeah. Scotty is still 18 I believe LJ is about 21 these are young lads and you can excuse them for this but maybe there was one or two moments where like after something big they maybe rushed on to the next thing just a little bit quickly. So yeah. the person yeah. who was selling had to abandon the the, the selling to, to just kind of, whether it was climb the ladder for a cutoff or, or whatever it was. There was just one or two moments like that that I, I think maybe they could have just milked a little yeah. bit more. But that said, there were plenty of of great moments that they did milk throughout the course of the match. And they got so much out of this. And on most wrestling shows I've seen this year, this would have been um, my match of the night. Uh, it was it was great. It was one of the best matches I've seen in Europe this year. But obviously, it was uh, it, it has the um, I'm sure they were honored to be on the same show as that main event, but it also has the misfortune of being on a show with that yeah, main event where yeah. not everyone's going to be talking about it after, but they did a fantastic job. Yeah, and the match that came to mind as I was watching it, I don't know if you've seen it yet, was a match from actually from DDT this year. Have you seen that single light tube match between Asuka and Akito? No, I haven't heard about it though. It's, it's, a, it's a really, really clever little match where basically there is one light tube it's, it's like the ladder match. There's a single light tube and they just work this incredibly clever match around avoiding having this light tube broken against them. Like, so they're, they're doing like the, the, the light tube is on the mat in between them and they're doing forward rolls to avoid it and all that thing. Uh, and like just doing some incredible simple stuff where you feel like this, this light tube was the most dangerous thing in the world. You know what I mean? Uh, and I really thought that this match was just as clever as that. You know what I mean? As you said, the ladder was something to be feared and respected and, and you know, the way, you become like when there's 10 ladders around the ring and there's people going through ladders left, right and center, you become blasé about the ladder as a weapon because people are taking five or six bumps each to the ladder. So, you know, where is the specialness of it? You know what I mean? And they saved like they, they, they did some bumps. And like, I'm not going to say that those guys weren't sore the next morning after the match. Of course, they were. They were hitting each other with ladders and taking bumps off the ladder and that kind of thing. But they saved the big, big bump for the end of the match as well. Like and that gator roll off the ladder was something extraordinary, you know, even to have the 
the balls to go for it. Like, like the gator roll on the mat always to me looks like an incredibly brutal bump to take. To take a gator roll off the top of what was a very, very large ladder was incredible. But because they hadn't gone crazy with big bumps before it, it kind of had that extra effectiveness. You know what I mean? And yeah, a very mature performance and like seriously impressive that an 18-year-old and a 21-year-old would, you know, you would expect young lads to want to go crazy and to be eager and to want to take a ton of bumps through a ladder. So, so for them to show such maturity and restraint like it, I think it really bodes well for both of their futures, you know. Um, any other matches you could pick out on the undercard, Alan, that you'd like to I, talk I about? I really liked uh, Kingston and Thatcher. I thought that over-delivered yeah, yeah. for a second match on the show. Um, this is Terry Thatcher, not Timothy Thatcher, for anyone confused. Uh, um, I thought that was really good. I thought it was... Um, uh, both times, Eddie Kingston, I've seen Eddie Kingston live qu- quite a bit, but for whatever reason, both times when I've seen him in, in OTT, I've been just that, and the, the the other time was a few years ago now, but both times I've seen him in OTT, it's like, I know he had really good nights in terms of his stuff just looking really good and just how how assured everything he did was. I was just really impressed. Like, I love Eddie Kingston. I'm always impressed by him, but... I was more impressed than I expected to be uh, seeing him live here for the first time in a little while. And um, I thought Terry Thatcher had a, a very strong performance and thought it was good to give him a win. Um, he, he takes a lot of L's as a plucky underdog and I think it was good to give him a win over an import. Um, so I enjoyed that. I I, I foolishly, again, uh, Due to the proximity of the stadium to my house, I, I actually went home to uh, say hi to, to my lovely wife at intermission. And uh, I I really thought like I was going back in, in more than enough time that I wouldn't have missed. But they they clearly went back quite quickly after intermission. And I was I walked in and I saw people at the, the merch table. And I was like, oh, they haven't started yet. I'm in loads of time. And then I walked past the merch tables through into the main arena. And note, they were like, solidly into the uh, the Morden Hype Tag Team match that went on first. And I was like, oh, geez, I've missed a big chunk of this. But everything I did see in the second half, that was a really good match. And Nathan Martin um, had a hell of a performance towards the end of it. Oh, yeah. Like, one of my favorite moments of the whole show was his fire. And his his moment where he got to fire back on the two guys and grizzled young veterans like and I've gone on record many, many times as saying that, you know, f- for all the plaudits that Scotty Davis gets and maybe all the plaudits that LJ gets, the one that the one of all that young crop of Irish wrestlers that that, that I have the highest hopes for in the long run is Nathan Martin. Like, I, I think that kid has something special. Like we basically saw his first match in the ringside club. We've literally seen his whole career unfold in front of our eyes. And like from almost the very first match, that kid has always just had, he's just had a natural innate understanding of the things in professional wrestling that some wrestlers maybe never figure out. When to show fire, when to kind of show sympathy, when to sell, when to, like he, he gets emotions out of people that maybe some of the other, you look at a Scotty Davis, like who's an incredible athlete, I feel like there isn't maybe the emotional connection to Scotty that we might have with a Nathan. Like, you know, like when Nathan is selling a knee or when he's selling a leg. Well, when one he thing f- about Nathan is is he eats, sleeps and breathes wrestling. Like he yeah, you can laps tell. it up. Yeah. He, yeah. He's watching everything. Oh, he, 
you, he absolutely laps it up. And I have my, my series on my show, which every couple of months I check in yeah, with a yeah. group of, of three Irish wrestlers that were following the journey of, and it's LJ Cleary, Darren Carney, and Michael May. So it's two-thirds of more than hype. And the one that I don't get the chance to talk to is Nathan. And I, I, I've been thinking recently that one of these days, I just need to sit down and, and do a show with Nathan because I just think I... I I could probably talk to him about wrestling for for hours because I really get the impression of, from everything I've heard that he he just loves it and he will mm. watch wrestling nonstop. Yeah, there, there, there's just those intangibles. I think people call them, you know, that that maybe you don't trade into people that you that you pick up by just having wrestling matches. He he just seemed to innately have those intangibles almost from day one and. I think the kid is a star and I think, you know, his moment when he fired, like the, the timing of his comeback against Grizzled Young Veterans, you know, the, the crowd was, as you said, I think they came back very quickly after intermission and it caught a lot of people on the hop. And for the first few minutes of that match, there was a big kind of a flurry of people going back to their seats and that kind of thing. That was the moment in the match that really captured the crowd, that comeback. You know what I mean? And I heard you and Dave talking on your podcast about the fact that that, that Mustache Mountain had to can or, or that fact that Tyler Bate had to cancel off the show, it may actually be a blessing in disguise for more than hype because maybe when that title switch does happen, maybe that can be the main event of his show. Because like if that had happened on Saturday night, it would have been completely swallowed up in the next match that happened, like the, the Star and Devlin match. You know what I mean? So maybe their moment can happen on like a maybe in the basketball arena on one of the mid-sized shows or something like that, and really make it a big special moment in OTT history. You know. Did James or did Jamesy did Nathan? Um, did he have just one knee pad the whole match, or did he lose that as a part of like a leg attack or something? I think it came off during the match, and like I was just sitting there saying to the people around me, like, "My God!" It was a cool look for him because when I came in, he had he looked yeah, like um he, he looked like I don't know if I, I I don't know if you remember the guy I know you watched the one match that he had this year that I was a real big fan of but uh, Sego Tachibana the guy that yeah, wrestled yeah, Ashino, yeah, yeah. he he really had the look of him going with the one knee pad yeah. and the the little shooter boots um yeah, yeah no I I thought it worked for him I was like yeah, yeah you cool. should yeah. Keep, keep this up uh, Nathan it's a good look for you the shooter Nathan Martin huh yeah yeah. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, I suppose a nice little segue into the into the show on the Sunday then will be the women's title match between um, Valkyrie and Katie Harvey. Um, a match that I thought had a really good build up, you know, like Katie had been on the shelf for nearly nine months after an injury. Um, yeah, it was a shame the video didn't play. They had a technical issue yeah, with the video. Yeah, exactly. But like it had been built really well and Valkyrie had come back on the show previous to the stadium show and that kind of thing. Um, I feel like Katie now all of a sudden has kind of settled into the, she never really felt to me like a veteran before. I don't know what it was about her. She kind of felt like she was, we would have known her as an experienced wrestler, but like I was looking at her on Saturday night and I really got a kind of a, um, a late career kind of Lufisto or a late career Aja Kong kind of feel from her. You know what I mean? And I feel like she should really lean into the kind of the grizzled veteran almost at this stage now. You know what I mean? Like, I think she should start throwing more big strikes. I think she should start hitting bombs. I think she should carry herself as this kind of an ass kicker, like because she's kind of taller than most of the other women's wrestlers and that kind of thing. And I feel that could be a really good um, role for her now, like the kind of veteran ass kicker of the women's division. Especially if you want to keep her for a, a champ as champ for a while, and 
um, build up Amy Alonsi uh, mm-hmm. to yeah. um, as like kind of a baby face and not turn Katie, but kind of have her be on the the more aggressor side of things in a feud yeah. with with Amy, yeah. who I think is someone. Watch out for Amy Alonsi in twenty twenty. She. I, I think the world of, of her and, and the effort she's put in um, to improve her stock, uh, she's great and she's got a, a connection with the crowd that's hard to replicate. So I'd love to see that be a direction they go. Um, I think there's still a, a, a lot uh, that you can um, get out of Valkyrie. I think Valkyrie's constantly oh, yeah. improving. One thing that I don't think gets brought up enough about Valkyrie, um, and I was just watching a bit of her... Uh, conversations that went up on, on WXW now, uh, conversations that I did not do with her because uh, uh, she was not there when I was there and sh- I was not there when she was there, um, but uh, Olaf stepped in as my uh, German substitute. Um, I guess you're just not allowed to have that many Irish people on the screen at one time on WXW now. It's probably probably dangerous, but I was watching a, a, a little bit of it and she was talking a, a, a little bit her background and, kinda, and it kind of clicked to me. It's like because you see Valkyrie and, and she moves so well and stuff. Um, she's clearly an excellent athlete, and and she she talks about how she did a lot of um, swimming and dancing and and other stuff growing up. She was always doing kind of athletic stuff, and and it's quite clear that she is athletically, I would say probably the one of the better women in the UK and Ireland. And there's still things Valkyrie has to kind of piece together in her game, but she's kind of got that, um, like with Layla Hirsch right now, who's clearly an amazing athlete, there's that athletic foundation that is one of the things that no matter how, no matter how kind of much you learn the business, no matter how good you get at different elements of the wrestling business, if you don't really have it athletically, it's a real it's a real tough place to come from. You're really working from, um, oh, what's the phrase? It's when I record podcasts late at night, it's just, I can't speak, I can't remember a phrase, but you're really, uh, you're really, um, uh, you know, the, uh, you know what I'm looking for. It's on tip of my tongue. What's that? At a disadvantage. Or... Yeah, at a disadvantage. Yeah. Kind of, um, the, the deck is stacked against you. Edit this out. Make me look better, Jamesy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um the uh yeah she she has that athletic ability that i think gives you a really good base to build all the other aspects of pro wrestling onto and i think valkyrie is someone that still we haven't even scratched the surface with how good she's going to be so um yeah i think it's a, a positive and unfortunately, Debbie Keitel got hurt over the weekend with, with that nasty eye injury. But um, I'm sure she'll be back strong. And uh, it's they've got a, a real exciting-looking women's division, especially when you factor in some of uh, the British talent that they can bring over, like a Sammy Jane, who I get the mm. feeling is going to be one of Katie's next defenses. Yeah, um, I think they, they can got, do yeah. real good stuff with the women's division going forward. Yeah, and like to talk a little bit more about Sammy Jane, like like to me, it's baffling to me with all the companies that are that are kind of running at the moment that that she's not signed to a contract somewhere, like because she's just such an incredible performer. It's it's she did have a couple of injuries there. Yeah, true enough. Yeah, but like she's the way she carries herself. Like she she wrestled on the Defiant show on the Sunday. She wrestled. Um, Raven Creed in a rematch of their great match from the Tivoli last year. 
And to me, Raven has, you know, coming out of that match in the Tivoli last year, we were certain that we kind of had a major superstar on our hands in Raven Creed. You know what I mean? And she kind of faltered a little bit in the year since. You know, she was put in some situations against some strong wrestlers. I think at times she was kind of, they did the dirty on her in terms of giving her not enough time to have good matches and that kind of thing. There were other performances where I felt she was a little bit shaky. But like, again, here, when you put her in with somebody as good as Sammy Jane, she really felt like she was back to her best. And I felt like this match was probably lacked the emotional kind of big moment that that, that the the first match had. But I felt like that that was maybe the best match on the show on the Sunday. I don't know if you agree or not. Or I would say that or um, I, I I definitely liked Tony and Millie McKenzie, although it was quite short. And I really liked uh, Ginny and um, uh, Amy Alancy. Alancy yeah. So. And the Emmy Sakura, like to me, just seeing Emmy Sakura, like nothing against anyone else we've talked about or anyone else on the show, but Emmy Sakura, when you see someone there with 20 years experience, so comfortable, so relaxed in what they're She's doing. She's a joy to watch, isn't she, she as well? It's, it's like personality and everything, yeah. This is again no knock on anyone else, but she's just head and shoulders as a polished performer over everyone else on the show because she has all the literal decades of experience um so i really enjoyed watching her work and work with a really ex- inexperienced younger wrestler who i wasn't familiar with in, in in kanji who like you could tell was being kind of elevated in terms of what she's capable of because mm. she was in there with someone as good as emi sakura yeah that's fair. And if the rumors are true, but Emi Sakura being built up as a uh, Riho's uh, challenger on the next AEW pay per view, that'll be pretty cool. Oh yeah, yeah, and that'll be some match as well. Yeah. Um, any other thoughts on on the Defiant show in general? Like, I just found it like it was it was a nice like. <laughs> There was a part of me going into this show on Saturday, on Sunday, after the amazing high of this of of the night before, and I kind of I felt really sorry for, for the people on the card in a way because how do you like how do you follow that you know what I mean like one of the greatest matches to ever happen in in European wrestling and you're expected to come out and wow the crowd like but I think they did a great job of just putting on a really solid like like every match on this show was at was at least really solid you know some of the technical wrestling i was really impressed by like some of the stuff in the opening exchanges of some of these matches was really really good i think every match was given a bit of time to breathe i don't think anybody was shortchanged on time but at the same time what was it two hours of a show it felt like we were out of there by kind of half six in the evening just a really nice easy show to sit through and just a really good standard of wrestling overall i thought yeah 100 percent okay um so that's basically our big OTT weekend, Alan. Um, I suppose the last thing that, that I, I really didn't get to over, the, just to very briefly go back to Star Devlin. Um, is it your match of the year? Or, or like, how, how many superlatives can we throw at this at this stage? James, I can't say anything about my match of the year right now because my two <laughs> candidates for match of the year, I loved live so much that I'm afraid to rewatch them on tape. I've been battling watching Shingo and Osprey for oh, like months yeah, yeah. now. Nice. I've been battling rewatching it on tape. I still haven't. Um and it'll probably be the same with Star and Devlin. I probably won't watch either of those matches again until Christmas time, I'd say. And uh yeah, I'll probably have a decision then. But right now, um yeah, those are the two. 
Uh, I'm trying to think. Let me. I have my Dale Match of the Year tracking list uh, handy here beside me. I've got my other five-star matches are Shingo and Dragon Lee, Okabayashi and Dylan James. Yeah, that was amazing. Okabayashi and Zeus, those two back-to-back days in the Champion Carnival for All Japan. Uh, I've Walter and Jordan from um, March at, at five stars. I had um, that as well at five as well, yeah. Part of me just like, again, it's probably just uh, having gotten away from it and this more recent match kind of uh, the recency bias. But it just, when I think back to that March one, it's like that wasn't as good as what we just saw. But, the events that we just saw, like the whole spectacle yeah, outshines so, of that. But now in hindsight, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it seems like maybe I, I might have overrated that a little bit, but who knows? I, I need to rewatch that too. I don't think I've seen that on tape yet. Um, Then over in the US, I'm, I'm going up through my sections here and my thing. Nothing nothing at five stars in the US. And uh, my G1 list, uh, Ishii and Shingo and Okada oh, yeah. and Osprey, the aforementioned Okada Osprey match. Um. You know, Shingo Nishi is one I love. That could be a contender. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think it's probably going to come down to Devil and Star and Shingo Osprey for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like it, it was one of those ones where the way I felt having left the building, you couldn't not give that five stars. You know what I mean? To generate that feeling in me and that just the whole experience of that match from start to finish. It's just, you know, the way you, when you know, you know, and that's one of those matches. You, you just know that that's the easiest five stars in the world you'll ever throw out. Um, but yeah. And then the last thing, Alan, wrestler of the year. Are we talking David Starr or are you still on the, on the Osprey side of things or where are you at the moment on that? Even the Okamayashi side of things, Jason. Yeah, Come okay. on now. Um, I don't know. It's, uh, it's, it's uh, a wide open uh, this year, it feels to me. I felt Walter was, was just head and shoulders above everyone last year, and I had the decision made like by by June almost. I was like, well, nobody's going to catch Walter at this stage. But like I, I, in the last few weeks, I've kind of, like for a long time, I was thinking Osprey, and then Star in the last couple like, of weeks has whenever, this match. Whenever it's like... If I ever have the gall to start leaning towards someone other than Osprey, it's like Osprey gets personally offended and goes and has like some amazing match to yeah, pull me back you. over firmly to being him. And like at the moment, like I'm with the other day in in recent memory, it's uh, like I'm definitely thinking about Star in the, mm. those kind of terms, but. I just know when I watch these, like Osprey literally made a point of going on Twitter and saying he hates to do this, but not enough people saw or know about this tag match he had over the weekend in the Super Junior Tag, and he says it's legit amazing and uh, it's probably the best tag match in New Japan this year, and more eyeballs are needed on it. It was funny because when I read the tweet, I thought he was talking about uh, Sho and Yo versus Rocky and Taguchi, which I heard was awesome. But, uh, no, he was actually talking about his own match with, uh, I believe, Rocky and Taguchi. So oh, um, <laughs> I, I did appreciate Will's honesty there that he was just that excited about his match and how, like, when you're as good as Will Ospreay is and you have as many great matches as he has, I like a free, I appreciate him taking the time to say, <laughs> guys, yeah. this match I had was really good. You should watch it. Because, like, you kind of have to take that as like serious business because 
he's had a lot of really great matches and if he says one is particularly good kind of makes him must see so i'm sure when i watch that i'll be back to thinking yeah osprey is the boring pick osprey's wrestler of the year um star absolutely did himself a lot of favors when it comes to that um and that mercedes martinez match have you seen that yet no, it's it's so firmly That's on my list really, to get really, to. Really, it was him having those two so close together, like the match on Saturday and that match the weekend before, kind of. Because he had slipped out of my thoughts a little bit. Like, I, I really didn't like that Osprey match from Rev Pro, which 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 you would have thought. Like, the two top guys in the running for wrestler of the year, you would have thought, would have been phenomenal. And that kind of soured me on him a little bit. Like, but, but I'm those hoping that's what we, did, we didn't really kind of pick what matches we want to see for Star okay. next year, but... Yeah. I'm kind of hoping that'll be one because I feel they, they deserve to get the redemption that for what <laughs> happened in RevPro. Show, show the Brits how it's done, huh? Oh, yeah. That's what that's what we've been doing for the last hour, Jamesy, and hopefully uh, we'll do it again next year with that match. Absolutely. Any plugs before we finish up, Alan? Anthony, you want to plug or, or put forward for us? Um, of course, if you if you haven't got enough of me talking about uh, Star and Devlin and uh, the OTT weekend, I did a chat with the great Dave Ryan on my show at uh, Pro Wrestling Paralyzed PW Torch. So you can check that out. I will have a show with another Irishman coming up this weekend. I won't spoil who. Um, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's my first time, I think, doing a show with this gentleman. Okay. I'm very excited to, very, very excited to do a show with him. So uh, I, I won't spoil it. Actually, I think he's already revealed on it. He has already revealed on his podcast. I've heard him revealed the last two weeks. It's going to be me and JP. <laughs> I JP. knew that as well, but I was, I was trying From to the... work with Alan. I was trying to work the marks by saying nothing. <laughs> From the Grapple podcast, which I know is a lot of crossover with the the show here with Benno, of course, on both. Um, But yeah, JP is going to join me and uh, JP and myself are going to talk about uh, Jushin Thunder Liger as part of my We Love Liger series, which I hope everyone uh, is sees as a lovely accompaniment to the great wh park and his series that he started up you don't need to pick or choose you can listen to both and they're both great uh we've done two shows already over on the torch we did one i think in april and one in june i want to say and i was planning on trying to do about five or so before liger retired so i want to get this one in and then one more hopefully right before the dome um the theme of this one will be liger against uh young up-and-comers contenders to his throne or pretenders to his throne and we've got a a couple of uh a doozy matches uh one very famous one i would say one more recent one and then one that i would say a lot of people will have never heard about and have never watched it's from a period that you don't get a lot of talk of in terms of new japan and um if you hear the names, you'd be very excited, but I'm going to keep that mm-hmm. secret. And it's a match that uh, I don't think it's on New Japan World. I don't think it's on YouTube. It's one I pulled out of the, the dark corners of the interwebs, but I can certainly uh, uh, point people in the direction of it um, if they want to check it out. But you'll have to hear me and JP talk about it first. And that will be coming hopefully this weekend. Um, yeah, do I have anything else to plug? 
Fighting Spirit magazine's gone, so I don't put that in. Neither of us have that to plug anymore, yeah. Uh, there there may be, I, I will say, there, there there's going to be a Fighting Spirit magazine-related thing that I'll be plugging in a little while um, to come, so watch out for that. And WXW, uh, obviously, Tag World Tag Festival is up on uh, WXW now, so you can uh, hear my calls of uh, various matches throughout that weekend. And... Um, uh, my uh, uh, impression of um, Jimmy McGee when I did the ambition uh, post match. <laughs> I was, was going to plug that and all. Yeah, excellent stuff. Uh, I haven't watched it back yet. Another thing I'm scared to watch back. And uh, yeah, we're gonna have going up on. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, when they drop, I'll be plugging them hard. The conversations I did with Lufisto and the conversations yeah. I did with the Workhorseman, which is genuinely. The conversation with Workhorseman, and I don't say this lightly, is one of my favorite things I've ever done in terms of podcasts, uh, articles I've written, things I've done with WXW, just anything to do with wrestling. It is one of the things I am just most excited about having done that conversations with the Workhorseman. It's bloody brilliant, and I hope it's up in all its glory completely unedited warts and all as James Drake, JD Drake wanted it. Um, Jesus, I'll never forget that experience. It was unbelievable. (laughs) Excellent. Yeah. I'd be looking forward to seeing that. He's a gas man altogether. Anyway, listen, Alan, all that's left to be done is just to thank you again for coming on. I know it's, 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 it's hard to get people on during the week, during the busy week when you're, you're going to work early in the morning and that kind of thing. And you're tired after a day's work. Hugely appreciate you coming on here. I, I, I think we did the match justice with our conversation. I think we came at it from a slightly different angle to the other podcast, like your own one and the grapple podcast that have already discussed it. So yeah, thanks a million for coming on and we will be back on. We will revert to the British wrestling experience in two weeks time when Martin and Benna will make the return so thanks for listening guys and thank you alan bye everyone slant lat <laughs>